0: Welcome in to episode 27 of Shakedown the Numbers. Today is September 6th, uh, recording this at night. My name is Cooper Klaus. I... And the co-founder of the ND underscore FB underscore analytics football account on Twitter. And tonight I'm joined by Kevin Murray, former Notre Dame Sports Analytics Club president. Kevin, how's it going?
1: It's going pretty well, Cooper. You know, excited to to dive in a little deeper about that that game that, you know, I think was a lot more exciting than than we expected. And um, you know, had some had some good and bad things for us to talk about looking forward.
0: You might be more excited than I am to talk about it because it it was close on paper, but just the, throughout the course of the game, how it was transpiring, I was sitting in the end zone. I went to the game, sitting in the end zone on the way, way up up top and just thinking that there isn't really, I don't see a way we were going to win this game based on how we were playing and like the offensive strategy. And yep, that basically transpired in the second half after a surprising 10-7 lead. But yeah, well, let's uh, preview the episode real quick. We're going to be talking through the Ohio State game uh, and recapping what happened, what we liked, what we didn't like. And a brief preview of Marshall, but more so where we want to see changes being made going forward, how we evaluate Marcus Freeman's first game as head coach, some of the game management decisions he he made during the game. And yeah, we'll go from there. So let's uh, get started with Ohio State. So Notre Dame falls to Ohio State 21 to 10 on the road, the spread being 17. So Notre Dame covers a lot lower scoring than I think everyone thought. Our model had it at... I think like 65 points is the total projected score of 40 to 25 somewhere around there. So it's on one hand, very encouraging defensive performance from Notre Dame. I think let's just start with a good there. Al Golden came out ready to play in the first half, held Ohio State to negative EPA passing, this dominant passing attack that I think still will be dominant um, going forward. But negative 0.09 EPA per play through the air, meager 22.2% success rate on 18 pass plays in the first half. In the second half, they had a lot more success. Uh, 0.32 EPA per play through the air, 0.28 on the ground. It's. I think that is fine to live with, though, just knowing how how potent and explosive the Ohio State offense is. Granted, Notre Dame caught a massive break with Jackson Smith, Njigba barely playing in the game. But I think a great first showing from the defense and uh, kind of alleviated, at least for the time being, some concerns we had specifically in the secondary
1: yeah. And I think that's a good point that you bring up there, Cooper, is, you know, we did have, you know, a couple of breaks go our way early in that game with, you know, the injury to Jackson Smith and Jigba. No Julian Fleming either. So, you know, two of the top three Ohio State wide receivers being out there. But I think it still was really good to see, you know, the improvement in the secondary. You know, we had a lot of a lot of really highly ranked, highly rated PFF grades in our secondary, Bracey being, you know, third highest rated player with like over 70 on coverage. Clarence Lewis, who I know I've been critical of in the past, also our fourth highest ranked player on defense, you know, up there in the the upper 60s on coverage. And then also Brandon Joseph, who I think, you know, we'll all remember early in that game with the big, big hit on on JSN, Um, but also just, you know, on that back end of the defense, you know, making sure our coverage wasn't getting beat deep. I think that was one of the big things that you could tell Al Golden was focusing on was eliminating the big plays for Ohio State. And it was it was something that he was really successful with. Especially early on, and, and you know, I think that led to to some of the things that we'll get into in a little bit about the run, especially in the second half for Ohio State. But I think overall, it was it was really interesting to see that I think the the, the strong suits that we thought we had going into the game, being the defensive line, the front seven stopping the run, the places that we thought we had the advantage, didn't necessarily work out that way in, in the course of the game. And, and we had a really surprisingly good good performance by our secondary.
0: Yeah, and I don't even necessarily think that was that. That's a bad thing that the run game or the run defense wasn't that great. I at least hope it was a conscious decision from Golden from Freeman to want to stop the pass first. Ohio State in the game negative zero point two two EPA per play, twenty eight percent success rate, and only four yards per play on early down passes. And that was Ohio State threw the ball twenty five times or dropped back twenty five times during the game. They gave up the run. They conceded the run zero point two eight EPA per play, fifty one point six success rate but I think that's a recipe to containing an Ohio State offense that CJ Stroud showed why he is potentially going to be the first quarterback or probably the very least second quarterback taken in the 2023 draft with um, some of the throws he made specifically in the second half and on third downs but I think uh, defensively Notre Dame executed a game plan and caught caught a lot of like very fortunate breaks don't get that wrong but executed on the defensive side of the ball perfectly conceding the run's fine. Like Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams are who no one really knew about before going into the game but are just two excellent players. Ohio State has a great offensive line and if you're as long as you're containing Stroud I think that's you're, you're okay giving up production to them because you're not giving up these deflating big play 70 yard bombs that change the score within a matter of 10 seconds. I think it's you want to make Ohio State go do what they did in the last drive of the game specifically and take out seven minutes of the clock and run 10 15 plays and see if they can actually string together a drive and they did but that prevents stroud from getting more opportunities to throw the ball and it limited them to 21 points even though ryan, there were some very questionable ryan day punt decisions mixed in there too
1: yeah exactly and, and cooper i will say one more thing that you know it, it definitely reminded me of watching the game too is how a lot of nfl teams are playing the chiefs now throwing back those those two three deep safeties For sure i think and that that for me was something that, you know, I'm excited to see Al Golden going forward. I think he called a great game there for most of the game and, and really forced Ohio state to do something that going in, we didn't think they'd want to do. And, you know, they were successful at it and we have to give them credit for, for being successful at that. And yeah, like you said, Mayan Williams, definitely not a guy I heard of prior to the game, but I, man, that guy's a bowling ball. And especially late in the fourth quarter, he got rolling and, and, you know, kind of put some work in on our, our defense and, I think one other important thing to note, too, is that just because, you know, our our pass rush numbers weren't the greatest doesn't mean that we weren't getting pressure. I think there were many cases, at least in the in the fourth quarter, um, late in that game where, you know, we were pushing C.J. Stroud out of the pocket and he was just making Heisman level throws that you'd expect from, you know, the first, second quarterback to uh, in the draft next year to do, um, you know, both of those sideline sideline throws that we might remember in the fourth quarter. Both really key important throws that you know Notre Dame got pressure and and moved him outside the pocket and he just made plays so I think that's another important thing to note is that yeah maybe our our rush our pass rush didn't do as well as we thought it would on paper but you know we did we did apply some pressure and and when it mattered
0: yeah exactly I think I think a lot of criticism for the pass rush comes from the fact where they weren't able to generate a lot of pressure and then looking at the like. It maybe it forces Golden's hand to call a double safety blitz on the third and third 11 or whatever it was touchdown pass. But you hold the Ohio State to 21 points. I wouldn't be too concerned about the pressure rate. I think there are plenty of times where he was facing pressure. And there also were a lot of like quick plays in that game. Like when he was kept clean, his time to throw was 2.43 seconds. Anything under 2.5 is pretty quick where it's tough to generate pressure that easily. I wouldn't be too concerned that with with the pass rush necessarily i think isaiah foskey had a bit of a quiet game didn't generate as much but i it's it's hard to f- find any criticism with when you hold a team to 21 points i think stroud um you said it best too, like showed why he was a is going to be a first round pick um, with a throw specifically on the sideline 83.1 pff grade on the game but also Notre Dame held him to 0.11 epa per play i think a lot of too high lim- limited the number of deep balls and the number of deep shots maybe Ohio State wanted to take going forward. I was actually very surprised with how few, how little they tried to challenge Notre Dame on the outside, especially after um, their first touchdown drive when Cam Hart got beat twice, once with the pass interference, and the second time um, taking a, a bad route to the ball that led to the catch-and-run touchdown. But overall, it, it's tough to find uh, many faults with the defense and tough to not be encouraged with the performance they put forward okay, so now now to the bad side um if if you've listened to this podcast before or follow us on Twitter for a long time, you know where this is going and if not, I apologize in advance but the continuation of trying to establish the run against or against big teams who are uh, more skilled at these skill positions continues to just baffle my mind it, it'd be one thing if Notre Dame had If you if you swap rushing attacks, just swap like Notre Dame's offensive line and running backs with Ohio State's. By all means, go for it because then you can. I'd be more confident with going with a run heavy attack that mixes in play action and rollouts and RPOs. Notre Dame has been. I said I sent out a tweet before the game started saying Notre Dame is going to struggle to find success in the running game because they just don't run the ball well. Whereas Georgia and Michigan last year ranked in our Elo ratings ranked eighth and thirty first, I believe, in rushing. And Ohio State's a top twenty rushing defense. Not like anything like crazy elite or special, but they are a competent and good rushing defense. Where unless you have one of these top top end or elite rushing attacks, you're just it's a fool's errand to think you can run the ball based on those games. But what did Notre Dame do, and what do they think they could do? Come out and run the ball and. It it just what like there's no way about it. It wasn't successful on early downs when running the ball. First off, Notre Dame had a 33% passing rate on early downs against Ohio State. Just comes just unbelievably conservative, and then ran the ball for negative 0.22 EPA per play, a 26.1% success rate. So that means only only about five or six of their runs actually increased the probability Notre Dame would increase the chances of Notre Dame scoring on those carries. 3.5 yards per play. Their median carry on 23 carries went for three yards. Just consistently put, set up Tyler Buckner, put him in a position to fail, put the um, game and the drive on his back consistently. And in the first half, he like actually was able to make it work. One, because of the first play of the game, they run a pass play uh, to Lorenzo Styles, who breaks a tackle and takes it 54 yards. And they also tack on another 15 yards and roughing the passer. And what do they do in the next three plays? They run the ball three times and stall out and kick a field goal. And then the second drive, not the second drive, their um, touchdown drive, the last actual like successful drive of the game, they run the ball like once, pick up eight yards, like a good run from Aldrich Estime, and then run the ball two more times and pick up seven yards and both carries. So it's third and three, third and two, third and three. And Matt Salero makes an incredible but incredibly lucky catch at the same time to set up Notre Dame in scoring position, and then they pass their way to the goal line and then run it in with SMA. All of their scoring chances and opportunities came from success in the passing game. And what scares me is Marcus Freeman had a quote after the game saying, when we got away from running the ball, when we had a pass, we went three and out, three and out, three and out. There was one successful running play in the game. It was a Chris Tyree sweep where he started in this, at the slot position and came in, motioned in as a receiver at the snap and got, took the handoff. No traditional run went for over 10 yards. Most of the runs went for 0 to 3 yards. But they continued to run the ball. And when the passing production from the first half wasn't sustained into the second half, the it really exposed how inefficient the rushing attack was because the efficiency stayed the same. First half EPA per play, negative 0.16. Second half, negative 0.17. But Notre Dame was successful. And if you call 10 points and a half successful in the first half, because they were able to overcome the rushing game from these big plays. But when that fell off in the second half, it disappeared and Notre Dame put up zero points in the second half in a game where they led and were down by one score for the majority of it.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, I sorry for that it. rant, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's all good. We, I think anyone that, that listens to this podcast, like you said, should remember too, that, that, you know, this is our opinion, but this should be everybody's opinion. Like we're these these advanced stats, the EPA, the success rates, these are telling part of the story. But for people that are fans of the traditional numbers too, I mean you could look at Notre Dame's rushing numbers from the game against Ohio State. We ran the ball 30 times and averaged two and a half yards a carry. I mean, if you even want to just get down to the basic bare bones stats, you can't look at that and say that's a successful way to do it. And I think what frustrates us the most is like you mentioned the timing of a lot of these run plays it's not like we're running on you know third and two third and one trying to get these two three yard gains and and they're successful run plays we're running on first and 25 or you know second and long third and long and just 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 trying to get you know better field position to punt i guess which you know is maybe going to work against some of the the teams that are coming up in our schedule but you can't go into a game against Ohio State, against an offense like that, thinking, yeah, if we can score ten points, seventeen points, even twenty points, we're gonna come out of this game with a win. And I think that was that was the most frustrating thing with the play calling, especially, you know, in a year where I think we, you know, were fairly optimistic that Tommy Reese coming out of being right under Brian Kelly would would get to a little bit more of a modern offense something that spread the ball out a little bit and you know, really focused on on some more modern modern uh techniques instead of just the the ground and pound, we're gonna run H B dive right down the middle for, for two, three yards every play. So I think that was that was the most frustrating thing to us. And just to kinda hammer hammer it home a little bit more, our run blocking grades for our offensive linemen were awful. Uh Blake Fisher had the best run blocking grade out of the five starting offensive linemen and it was at a sixty one point four. The rest of the five were either 54 or lower in their run blocking grades from PFF. Whereas, you know, pass blocking grades, we did have some success there. Josh Lug had a 77.2, Blake Fisher, Joe Alt, both in the 60s. So, you know, we did have a little bit of success pass blocking and, and at least, you know, getting the ball out there with, with Tyler Buckner. And, you know, I think kind of transitioning to, to that point on on passing a little bit too. I think one thing that was nice for me to see was, Buckner didn't seem phased by the moment. Um, You know, going into the horseshoe, first start of his career. I know he played a little bit last year, but you know, wasn't really a traditional quarterback. Going out there and starting eight for eight was better than I had expected, and I think that to start eight for eight and then throw what was it like nine passes the entire second half was a little little questionable on my end here. Of you know, especially once you got down, rely on your quarterback you know go down in a flame if you have to but you know don't go down running the ball continuing to kind of try to stick to the same game plan that that you kind of struggled with the entire first quarter or first half
0: yeah it, it's almost like Notre Dame didn't want to even score in the first, in the second half and we're just trying to hold hold out hope that they could win it 10 to 7 and just think that the juggernaut that is ohio state would never turn on and when it they predictably did Notre Dame did nothing to improve their chances. I think the most, the most telling thing to me in terms of just mindset and just bafflement was watching the, in the fourth quarter, I think it was the fourth quarter, Ohio state gets first and 25 after a clipping call and throws the ball. I think they threw the ball three times, but regardless, like continued at least they threw the ball at least twice, but threw the ball and were aggressive. And on third and 11 through a 30, 40 yard touchdown, Whereas on the, I think it was the very next drive, Notre Dame gets first and 25 after Matt Salerno's OPI and proceeds to run a QB draw, which is fine. They got seven, eight yards, perfect. Like you want to do that. If you're at first and 25, your goal should be eight yards every play. And then they run the ball up the middle estimate and they run another draw and punt on third on third and 18. In the fourth quarter, down two scores. Or I think they're down 14-10. Yep,
1: last drive of the third quarter for Ohio State, first drive of the fourth quarter for Notre Dame. Back to back.
0: I don't care if you've held Ohio State. I think it's there's some like bias here from the staff and the decision making there. And this is one of the decisions. I I don't know if this was in, dictated from Freeman or Reese. I don't think we'll ever know. Um, but regardless, like you should not bank on just because you stopped Ohio State up to that point. You should not change your belief in that offense so much that you're fine punting to them. I don't care where they get the ball. If they got the ball at the one, the twenty, etc. They got the ball at the five yard line that drive and drove ninety five yards. But you. You're not even going to try to score. Where when you're at midfield, too, who cares? Throw the throw a three, run the hail mary, four verticals, three times, and who cares if you throw an interception because they get the ball down in their zone anyways. What what are we doing here, sitting and watching you run the ball three times and just conceding one of your? I mean, it was their second to last possession of the game, like in a one score game. It it's just it makes no sense to me. You're playing like you think this game is gonna is going to go on for another three hours when really you got the ball two one more time after that game and you were down two scores by that at at that point the fear of turning the ball over the fear when buckner like made some good deep passes he had like a couple um that were he was late on some throws he was a little questionable in terms of putting the ball in traffic on a couple of two but let him just throw the ball deep downfield it's not like he has a noodle for an arm he has a he's one known for his arm strength it it makes no no sense
1: Yeah. And Cooper, one, one more thing that I want to point out too, is that, you know, a lot of people will point to the fact that our wide receiver depth isn't as strong as it has been in years past as kind of the reason why we focused on the run game, why we're not passing it. But I mean, we had some big plays. I mean, like you mentioned the first play, the first drive, that pass Lorenzo styles, that's a broken tackle. That's 54 yards. I mean, we didn't give him, I don't know if we targeted him more than one or two more times the rest of the game, regardless of what we think our playmakers are on the outside, we have to give them the chance to prove either they are or they aren't. And, you know, when we're, when we're just running the ball up the middle every time, we're not giving them that chance. And I mean, I know we've talked about this before, but, and, and Pete Sampson pointed this out too on, on Twitter the other day. And for what it's worth, you know, four of our top five players on offense PFF by PFF grade were pass catchers, you know, Bauman, Mayer, Styles, and Salerno. And, you know, those were maybe on smaller sample sizes because they didn't get as many passes thrown to them. But I think we have to start trusting and relying on our guys, regardless of who they are on the outside, that they're still wide receivers. Some of them like styles, like possibly Tobias Merriweather, if he comes up later in the year, are still remarkable athletes that, you know, deserve some chances on the outside. You know, especially when we have someone like Michael Mayer, that's going to, command double coverage you know up the middle every every drive that we have so I think that's that's another big thing that you know frustrated me is like we like we've mentioned before and like we keep hitting you know we were successful sometimes when we were passing the ball and definitely more often than we were running and there's still you know lack of a tendency to go that way
0: yeah there was some people on twitter were replying when I was calling out the just in my mind inexplicable game plan of trying to just run the ball down Ohio State's throat it's like well, like Notre Dame has um, walk-ons and there's wide receiver rotation. Like you can't be throwing to them. It's like I don't care if you have Matt Salerno, Chris Fink, Cam Smith, and Freddie Canteen as your starting receivers. If they're more efficient than if they're more efficient through the air than you are running the ground, running the ball, I don't throw to them. I don't care who they are. I don't care if they're the they're not that skilled. I don't care if they're not that physical or like athletically gifted. If they are more efficient at um, improving your chances of scoring than your running backs are, and you'll get the best running backs in the world, I could care less who, like who is catching the ball. And that's what Notre Dame has. Like Matt, Matt Salerno is is nothing special. He had a great catch, a very elite catch, but also had the OPI. It, it doesn't matter when Audre SMA runs for negative 0.26 EPA per play and 2.3 yards per carry on nine attempts. When Chris Tyree runs for negative 0.18 EPA and 4.7 yards per carry, boosted by the 14-yard run. 16.7% success rate for him. Logan Diggs, negative 0.36 EPA, 2.2 yards per carry on four carries. Tyler Buckner was the only Notre Dame uh, rusher to finish with positive EPA, 0. 0.05. And even his attempts, went it was, a, it was a 25% success rate for him on eight attempts. That's not including sacks, by the way. We don't include those. Those are in dropbacks. And Buckner on the game, 0. 0.23 EPA per play through the air, 42.9% success rate. Not that impressive, but uh hell of a lot better than, than the running game. It, it just doesn't make sense. It, it's this was more than balance for the sake of balance. This was, we need to try and just win the time of possession as much as we can with no regard for if actually running the ball would improve your chances of scoring. You can still run the clock after completion. You can still run the play clock down to zero. You can choose to make a conscious decision to run shorter plays, shorter pass routes. So you have a higher chance of completion and then still do, choose to, um, Run the clock that way. Lorenzo Styles' first play, the A dot was probably, or the depth of target was probably five yards, maybe, just guessing off the top of my head. They're working backwards. I think they're working from these assumptions where, it, in my mind, because this is how I'm seeing it, from where if you run the ball, the team that runs has more rushing yards at the end of the game wins. Mm-hmm. Um, the team that controls the game, the time of possession more wins. Whereas the better off- offensive teams are likely to have a higher time of possession the better offensive teams are likely to have, run the ball more and have more rushing yards because they're winning at the end of games. And that's what Ohio State also did too. It's just so frustrating because it, this was a winnable game and Ohio State's the much better team. But with the amount of breaks Notre Dame got in this game from penalties to Jackson Smith and playing 15 snaps, Julian Fleming not even playing, Ohio State punting on their on Notre Dame's 40-yard line on fourth and one, it it is just it's just so frustrating because that was a winnable game. And with the right offensive strategy, Notre Dame could have been in a position to win that game. Whereas when I personally watching it, Notre Dame was up ten seven and then down 14, 10, I thought there was no chance they were going to win that game because just the way the offense was operating, the way the offensive game plan they choose chose to deploy. There was just it, in my mind, there was no chance they're going to win that game despite it being within their reach.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, one, one point of comparison I want to, I want to throw out here too, is that we talk about, you know, not having the, the talent level at receiver here. And that is true. We maybe don't have the same talent level at receiver as, as some of the top teams in the country this year because of injuries and um, past recruiting classes. But, you know, Ohio state was missing arguably two of the top three receivers and, you know, Xavier Johnson, their third leading receiver, one of their two touchdown catches in that game last week, you know, he's a former walk-on as well, so, you know, the, the the talent level that Ohio State had out there was not all that it was hyped up to be because of the two injuries to two of their top three guys, and, you know, they were still able to be successful, so I think, you know, that points to, um, you know, we have to still trust the guys that we have outside, regardless of what the recruiting rankings are, regardless of inexperience and what we think of them, you know, we, we just have to, we have to focus on, you know, pushing forward and, and still at least attempting to throw the ball with all the success that um, you know, hopefully, hopefully Buckner can have moving forward.
0: Yep. And then I think my my only concern with that going forward too is like and I've talked about this before, like Notre Dame can the strategy Notre Dame used against Ohio State will work against most other teams in the country because Notre Dame has way more talent than ninety percent, ninety five percent of the teams. It's just not gonna work against the teams that Notre Dame wants to beat and wants to be like and be competing with because they're all running modern offenses that throw the ball uh, except for this game for Ohio state. And they're kind of a rare exception. They've in 2020, they were a run heavy run first team, more run heavy than their name, but Alabama LSU, when they won Clemson, they're all becoming NFL style offenses. And an a- NFL style offense is no longer run first with the fullback I formation type teams. They're throwing the ball 60, 70% of the time. The chiefs are throwing the ball 70% of the time in the last few years. And obviously they have Patrick Mahomes, but, Ohio State has their own Patrick Mahomes at the college level, and C.J. Stroud. Alabama has their own Patrick Mahomes and Bryce Young. Point being, you don't need to have those guys to throw the ball seventy percent of the time. Maybe you want to throw sixty percent instead, sure. But this strategy is not going to work against these be- these big teams unless, in that game, Notre Dame also got like two defensive touchdowns to make up for the lack of offense they have. It- it's just that's my concern is that they won't learn this lesson that we, I guess, have learned. I don't, I don't think any- most people are onto this yet, but. This strategy is going to rack up wins. This strategy is going to earn uh Marcus Freeman another name nine, 10, 11 win seasons. Undefeated some years if the schedule's easy. But if if they continue to play this way moving forward, they're gonna it's just gonna be the same old, same old. We saw this in 2020 against Alabama in the playoff, against Clemson in the ACC championship game, 2018 Clemson. It, it this strategy is just it's gonna lend yourself to Keeping it close, yes, but never really threatening because your offense isn't going to be doing much.
1: Yeah, and I think one last point that I want to make on that, that Cooper is that I think the next step in this transition to Notre Dame is, is, like you said, going from a team that can keep it close against these games to a team that, you know, personally, I, I actually believe is going to win close games, especially when they're down four in the fourth quarter you know Notre Dame kept that game close a lot of the the second half until Ohio State finally blew it open with that first drive in the fourth quarter but you know even as a Notre Dame fan I I can't really say that I was ever super excited super positive that Notre Dame was going to drive down the field and and take the lead back once they lost it and I think that's that's got to be the next step that they focus on and like you mentioned that's not necessarily going to be done with one of these older style offenses where we just kind of focus on you know field position and and running the ball and you know, kind of running the the same same old plays that we had the last couple of years.
0: Yep, definitely. I think one thing I just want to touch on, and we'll, this will put a bow on Ohio State, is just there are a couple of decisions by Freeman and the coaching staff that were game management decisions that are just very, very questionable in my mind. The first being the end of the first half. Um, Notre Dame gets the ball back with, I think it was like 36 seconds left. Ohio State has two timeouts left. Notre Dame chooses to run the ball on the first play for one yard and call a timeout and then throw a deep pass to Raiden Lindsay. I believe that falls incomplete and then run the ball again. Ohio State calls a timeout with, I think it's like 20 something seconds left in that situation, either try to score or run the clock out. I, I want you to try to score as an analytics focused person and trying to maximize points and maximize win probability. I want you to try scoring there, but if you're not going to do that, you could have run out the clock, but you failed to accomplish either goal. They tried to play it safe while also trying to score, but that doesn't work when Ohio State has two timeouts to call in their back pocket. And so why not call the deep play on first down? Why are you running the ball, wasting 4 seconds and then calling a timeout? You only in that situation, unless you're completing that deep throw, you're only forcing Ohio State to burn one timeout on third, on the ensuing third down. So they're they're left with one timeout, and then John Sott bails them out with a, a great punt. But that that situation was just so confusing to me because you fit you you can't play it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You have to just choose one or the other. But I think that that was partially a first time head coach trying to get too cute, maybe too much belief in Tommy Reese and his ability to execute both as well. That was that's the first situation that was really just questionable to me. I don't know what you, th- what you thought about that.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and like you said, I think we're all pro getting the ball in the air, trying to score with 36 seconds left, but at least try to get into field goal range and attempt a field goal. But I think just as importantly, and, and just as weird when you think of how Freeman and Al Golden kind of brought up the game plan there is, is that they obviously trusted the big playability of Ohio State's offense with how they were playing defense with those deep safeties, with, you know, sometimes two men rushing the passer, then I think that made the decision to throw it on second down, throw a deep pass on second down, not just a, you know, screenplay that's a likely completion that'll run the clock, even if you get tackled in bounds. I think that makes it even more questionable because you're already aware of how Ohio State's offense has that big playability that once you, you know, give them the ability to get the ball back, you're putting your defense at risk of a big play again. So, you know, I, I a hundred percent agree with you there that that was, that was very questionable to kind of try to, to, you know, cross the line of the best of both worlds and, and reality getting neither of them covered.
0: Yep. And then the, the second half, the, the use of timeouts was just frustrating. I think that's something you that takes time to learn, I guess, if you're coming from, you haven't, coaches haven't done this before and, I doubt they're spending much time thinking about like game management situations and stuff like that. But those timeout you, you need to take the delay of game penalty in those situations. You have to take the five yards. You cannot be burning a timeout in the third quarter on a first and 10, when you're just getting the ball, take the penalty who cares about five yards and then just throw the ball. Don't run the ball on first and 15. You you can throw the ball and get, pick up eight yards and put yourself in a, in a reasonable situation. But it seemed like, and Freeman was like at least like justifiably mad at Tyler Buckner for not being aware of the play clock in those situations take the penalty wait until the drive's over then go yell at him on the sideline don't you don't have to waste these timeouts because they're so just so valuable in late game situations Notre Dame was almost in one in this game if they had come up with a stop on that last Ohio State drive um, where they would have been down one score then also left with one timeout with like three minutes or so left you want to you you need to just save those timeouts there's no situation or probably a handful of situations where it's actually worth using that timeout um for on your team instead of taking a delay of game penalty he he need that's something he needs to learn because he needs to be treating those like it's a left bower and euchre and not like it's a breath mint or an altoid I've thought of that line before that's not a, like on the spot line I' thought about that recently but yeah that that was the other one that was that really stuck out to me and one that needs to change quickly
1: yeah and i think i'll i'll keep this brief but one one more thing that you know i'd like to see freeman and reese particularly focus on kind of going forward is you know the couple situations that we had third and longs you know at midfield just across midfield and the play calling on third down being more so not just a run to get one or two yards not a a deep pass but you know, something in between that makes it a legitimate decision on fourth down of whether we're gonna go for it and punt, giving us a chance to possibly go for it instead of playing the the field position game of we're either gonna get this fifteen, twenty yard first down or we're gonna to try to punt them inside the, the ten yard line because we can't go for it on fourth and twelve or fourth and fourteen. Um I think that's kind of one other focus area I'd like them to look at going forward.
0: Yep, yeah, I forgot about that one too. There's so much I'm already mad about in this game. I forgot about that. But yeah, the, you you can't be punting from a team's thirty-six yard line. Like that should that's a situation where Freeman should be telling Reese, Hey, you got two plays here. You you have third down and you have fourth down. So you use third down to set up a hopefully a fourth and five to set fourth and set five to seven or under um and go for it there because when you turn the ball over at the thirty, who cares? You can't be punting from a team's thirty-six yard line like you, you shouldn't be taking a field goal either. Cause I don't want, I don't trust any college kicker to make that kick. Um, but that needs, that's a situation where you need to be aggressive, especially like, I know there was like, there was the quote in the video with Freeman saying, Oh, 17 point underdogs. Okay. We'll use that in team meeting that needs to inform. Like you shouldn't be say, like saying to your team, like, Oh, we're not expected to win, but that should actually like actually inform your decision making process. Or if they have an internal win probability model which I don't think they do because I'm pretty sure like from our experience too, like the only analytics they use are from stu- the student run club. And from what I know, the football team doesn't use it as heavily as the hockey team did when I was working with them. But there, that needs to inform your decision-making and what, like if you're a heavy favorite, okay, we don't need to um, necessarily maximize every single small win probability edge. If you're a 17 point underdog, like Notre Dame was, and if this game was played this Saturday too, I'm sure the line would be very similar, 14 to 17 points you need to be aggressive and take maximize every single small win probability edge you think you can create for yourself. And that was a situation where they needed to do that. And they wasted an opportunity in, in scoring positions where I don't know if they ever got the ball that far again during the game. Mm -hmm. I don't think they did. Okay. Let's move quickly to Marshall. We're not going to really preview this game that much. Um, I don't think anyone really needs to uh, hear about our breakdown of Marshall's skill players, but we have, in, coming into this game, we have Notre Dame ranked as our 12th best team, Marshall at 80th. We give Notre Dame a 77.5% chance to win with a predictive score of 37.6 to 22.2. I think, I checked today, the line is 20.5 Notre Dame, so it predicts a Marshall cover. Um, we're at 15.4 ourselves. This is a game where I Notre Dame will be able to run the ball effectively. We have Marshall as a top 40-ish defense from elo rating but from a like just a pure like skills and talent standpoint Notre Dame's not going to have any trouble running the ball in this game or doing anything offensively what I want to see is a step forward from Tyler buckner I want to see the, the the coaching staff put the ball in his hands more trust him more to make plays and use this as not an opportunity to take like a lot of risks but an opportunity to just get him game reps because like people forget to like he played last year but didn't really throw the ball lost his senior year to covid lost his uh, sophomore year to torn ACL, uh, played his junior in, in California at, in high school and played really well. But in a, I think the second tier of football in high school there, I want to see progression from him. And that doesn't mean throw the ball 100% of the time. If they throw the ball 50 to 60% of the time, I'll be happy. I just don't want to see this run heavy attack. Because in my mind, if that happens, that's the basis of the offense for this entire year. And I'd be worried that we currently have Notre Dame projected for 7.8 wins. If we run a rut that same offense against Ohio State against Marshall, I'm worried that 7.8 actually is going to happen. Whereas personally, I think it should be closer to nine to 10 wins.
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. And I think one other thing that, you know, I'm looking forward to is, you know, kind of the last point you made on the Ohio State game is how does now Marcus Freeman in his third game as a head coach kind of progress and move forward in some of the, the small things that separate those coaches in the big games, in the close games. Things like the usage of timeouts, the the play calling situations in um, you know third and longs, fourth and longs, regards to punting, some of those different game management decisions. I think that'll be important important to see moving forward. And then also just you know another week we'll get a little bit more cohesion cohesion between the offensive line, hopefully a little bit more uh, pressure and some more sack numbers to go along with those pressures for guys like Isaiah Foskey in that defensive line against what's definitely a much worse Marshall offensive line than what they dealt with last week, last week against Ohio state. So, you know, those, those are some of the, the things that I'm looking forward to in, in addition to to what you mentioned earlier, Cooper.
0: Um, Yeah, I think that'll do it for us. Thanks for listening, everyone. I think for this game, if you are a first time listener or don't know, we, we have a partnership with the third and goal foundation. It is a organization founded by a former Notre Dame quarterback, Brady Quinn. Um, and they help support veterans with education opportunities, housing opportunities, and just recreational opportunities for them and their families. We ran a giveaway for the Notre Dame Ohio State game. We're going, we're wrapping it up and going to be giving away autographed Notre Dame, uh, no, sorry, autographed play like a champion today sign, autographed by Barry Quinn. Uh, we don't have a giveaway for this game. We have two more coming later in the year that we'll talk about sooner as those games approach. But for this game, I think us at our analytics team, like our, our I don't know what to call us, our team, Um, (laughs) us at ND underscore FB underscore analytics. will be pledging $12 for this game for both Tyler, hopefully um, for both Tyler Buckner and Marcus Freeman's first career win at Notre Dame. So please join us if you do. You can find more information about that at at ND underscore FB underscore analytics. Check us out there as well. We also have a Substack account where you can find our content at shakedownthenumbers.substack.com. Please rate this podcast uh, five stars on whatever platform you're listening to. It just helps other Notre Dame fans find it. And yeah, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week recapping Marshall and previewing the mighty California Bears matchup. It's a little bit of a, a dull schedule here for the next couple of weeks, but we'll we'll try to get through it. Yep, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And as always, go Irish.